This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hosanna Wong, welcome to Viral Jesus. I have struggled my identity for most of my life. And out of a season of losing who I was, like I was already married, I was already ministering, sharing the gospel. We had a season of immense loss, financially, relationally, physically, and everything I'd built my identity on was no longer there. And my husband would say he, he wouldn't even recognize his wife anymore. I lost who I was. And out of that season, there was kind of a lie in the sand moment with me and God. And out of that season actually came I Have a New Name, which is one of the spoken word pieces that went viral this year. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. I love the show today. We get to sit down with Hosanna Wong, who she's the one that did the viral spoken word. I have a new name. I just, I love spoken word. And I just love her. I loved her before she came on the pod, and I just love her 50 times more. <laughs> After sitting down and having a conversation with her, we are going to be talking about authenticity and identity and belonging with Hosanna. And so I asked my best friend and co-blogger, Scarlett Longstreet, if she would come on Safe Space with me to talk about when maybe, you know how sometimes like we may be too authentic? <laughs> Have you ever had that Facebook memory pop up from 10 years ago and you are mortified that you decided to publicly post your family drama or what was happening in your relationship that really should not have been posted or some like intimate details of your life? Oh my goodness. Well, I've never done that because I just wouldn't do that, but I know Scarlett has. <laughs> So she is coming on Safe Space. And as you know, Scarlett and I have very different backgrounds and views, but I think we've done a really good job in our relationship of creating a safe space for one another. And I hope that that's exactly what we give to you. So I think I, did I send you a text, Scarlett, recently where it was like one of our old blog posts popped up <laughs> as it does every now and then. And I was immediately overcome <laughs> with just humiliation because I had in my attempt to try to get clicks and connect, I had overshared. And I sent it to Scarlett because we had the blog, I'm That Wife Together. And you resonated because I, I mean, I'm not going to point fingers, but you have also overshared <laughs> publicly online. <laughs> Okay, what is the line? How do we know the line between 
I'm just being authentic. This is just me. And no, sweetie, you are oversharing. Sorry, I am so... <laughs> I, when I think about the things that I used to write for a public audience, I get warm. My face turns hot. <laughs> I, I can hardly believe the things that I put out on Same. the internet. And here's what I realize now. And I think this is the line. Are you trying to connect? Is what you're sharing bringing value? Are people going to be able to relate to your experience? Or are you going for shock value? And I know that they're going to read this because this is something that I shouldn't (laughs) just tell a stranger. (laughs) It's horrifying. Okay. So now I just remembered what it was, but I text you. So we used to have, we had a little bit where we had a third member and our third member in our blog quit. And the reason that she quit was because she said, you know, my husband, (laughs) my husband and my mother-in-law aren't like, they don't like that I'm sharing all this. And at the time, me and Scarlett were like, they don't support you. How could they not support your writing career? And now looking back, at the things that we were posting, I say good on them to pull the plug and stop her <laughs> because we were unwell. Honestly, where was my husband <laughs> trying to reel me in? I, what I needed was someone to say, what are you doing? Get a grip. They were in the right. And we were just like, they are crushing her dreams. That's no, what no, we no, thought. No. We needed a wake up call and and no one gave it to us. So yeah, I think that, um, I think, what is your intent? What's your motive? Are yeah. you, are you sharing just to, you think because something's going to go viral, you think because yeah, it's got that shock value. I would say if I'm not comfortable, I don't know. I think just like telling anyone the story face to face, like in mm. person, if I wouldn't, if, if it's not something that I would just openly share, maybe that is a cue for me that I should tread lightly or think think more carefully about the story or the content that I'm trying to tell. This is the rule that I have for myself now that I started about probably right after I realized that we had done too much with I'm That Wife. I started this rule for myself where I said, if I wouldn't post it in my office break room, then you are not posting it online, Heather. If I don't want my coworkers and my boss to come gander and read then you should not be posting it online. And I wish somebody had given me that advice when I was 27. Although I will say, we did grow quite the community, pal. It was salacious. (laughs) But it worked. So that's why people do it, I think. So yeah, so the moral of the story is (laughs) it could be humiliating, but it could pay off. But look at us now. And here's the thing. I will say, I remember a good indicator for me was when people would come up to me about that week's piece of writing and they would say, oh, I read the writing or I read what you wrote this week. And if I felt like- Yeah, embarrassed. A little embarrassed. Or like, this is an invasion now of my privacy. How dare you read what I posted publicly? Excuse you, mind your business. (laughs) You know, if if I got that type of feeling, that now is an indicator to me that like, "Mm, you needed to dial it back. I would love you guys to actually send us a DM on this one or add us. It's at Scarlett Longstreet on Instagram. I'm at Heather Thompson Day. Have you ever posted something you were trying to be authentic and looking back, you realize those Facebook memories revealed to you that you had gone too far. There's a difference between oversharing and being authentic. And I just think we should be mindful of walking 
that line. You know, with Scarlett and I, even if you've humiliated yourself, you know, with me and Scarlett, it is always a safe space. If you have struggled with knowing who you are, today's episode is for you. By the way, I was tagged by so many of you last week sharing the episode to your Instagram and on your other apps, and I absolutely love when you do that. Just so you know, you can always tag me. It makes my day to see how many people are sharing the episode every single week. If you like this episode, make sure to share it. You can post it online or you can just send it privately to a friend. You can also always leave us a review or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our guest today is Hosanna Wong. She is an international speaker, best-selling author, and spoken word artist helping everyday people know Jesus for real. Widely known for her spoken word piece, I Have a New Name, Hosanna shares in churches, conferences, prisons, and other events around the world, reaching across various denominations, backgrounds, and cultures. And her latest book is called You Are More Than You've Been Told. Okay, I am so excited about my conversation today with Hosanna Wong. Hosanna, you've not been on before, so you're a newbie. And something that we do on this show that's a little bit different is I open my conversations by reading back to the person that I'm talking to something that they've posted online. Oh my goodness. I know that I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really good. It's from your Instagram. You have a beautiful Instagram, by the way. Oh my God. All right, this is from your Instagram. You say this. We can love people well when we take off the pressure to be perfect, take off the pressure to be profound, and instead live in the freedom of being present, being with them where they are. What I really like, I think something that jumped out to me is taking off the pressure to be profound. Yeah. Talk to us about that. You know, that really came out of a, a really personal realization and conviction for me because for years of my life, I was committed to leading my baby brother, Elijah, to Jesus. Mm. And I did it so wrong. Like I know the mm. perfect plan of how not to show the love of Jesus. I mm. was loud and aggressive. And then I was absent. Then I was, you know what I mean? Like I did, I feel like I did everything wrong and maybe try to sound like some other preacher I saw once. Or I remember I um, would send my baby brother like sermon clips of me and say, watch this YouTube video, minute seven is for you. And at (laughs) some point, I realized my brother didn't need another preacher. He needed a big sister. And I went through years of being convicted of the pressure I put on myself to sound like someone else or look like someone else when my brother needed his sister. We've had quite a bit of loss in our lives, specifically when I was 18. He was 12 and we lost our dad. And in that moment, I didn't let him grieve the way he needed to grieve. You know, we lost the same person, but we didn't have the same experience. Mm. And I was very emotive. He was not. He shut down. I was angry at him. I told him his faith, you know, he had weak faith. Like I was very unloving towards mm. my brother. And so for years, I've, I've been on a journey of learning the ways I've done it really wrong and learned the power of being present. And one of the things that I feel like God gave me that has been a compass for me in this area specifically is that many times our greatest witness will be our withness. Mm. 
Hmm. How can we come alongside of people and be with them where they really are? So that's really where that Instagram post came from. I mean, I can talk forever about my little brother, but it was because of something I did really wrong. I put on pressure on myself to be perfect, to be profound, to maybe look like or sound like somebody else without really catering to the very specific needs of the very specific person that I knew and loved and seeing the world through their lens and being with them and loving them and then being able to actually be an ambassador of Christ, to actually know His language, Elijah's language, Elijah's lens of the world and the language of God, what God was saying and be able to explain it to him better. It was 11 years of me learning how to do this better before I got the opportunity to lead my baby brother Elijah to Jesus. So it's worth it. Do you feel like you have, I resonate with that a lot. I went to public school and so my best friend is Jewish, but racially, not necessarily practicing theology. Hmm. Um, And I can remember so many times I was deeply trying to witness, convert her, save her, I would say. There's this one memory I have of us getting into a big fight at a Chili's. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like over Buffalo, like in a big fight and I'm just crying. And then one of our other friends is like, why are you crying? And Scarlett, my best friend said, oh, because she thinks I'm going to hell. And so that was the dynamic. Yeah. My saveness was, that's how she felt, right? That's how I had made her feel. Do you feel like you have compassion when you see other people where you once were because you remember being there? I feel very, you know, I'm a millennial. So, you know, I tend to be just more uh, the ministry of presence right? That's very important to me. But I think sometimes people will have a very um, like limited, we will be very able to be flexible and loving to everybody except ultra conservative religious types that we feel are in the wrong. Does that make sense? Like Hmm. that we can't forgive, but Hmm. everybody else we can. And I feel personally, because I was that person and it took, I don't know, I think like 14 years where the Lord was so kind and tender to me, even though I was so wrong. Have you had experiences Mm. like that where you see people, you're like, you're doing that wrong, but also you're able to be compassionate rather than mean to them? No, I think you're bringing a great point that this comes out of immense compassion. This comes out of empathy. This comes out of a really good thing about us. Like This comes out of we love them so much and we've been hurting and broken and unsure of who we are and we so badly want them to know the answer that we found. And so bringing it back to the ambassador thing, it's because we know the language of God and the word of God and the lens of God so well that we want people to know it. But what we've missed is also the other part of what an ambassador needs to do. They need to know the language of the king or queen or kingdom they represent. There we go. But they also have to know the language and the lens of the world mm-hmm. they're going to, the land they're going to, because the other nation that they're going to, the other kingdom they're going to has had different mm-hmm. wars, different traumas. They have a different lens of the world. They might literally speak a different tongue. Really an ambassador in the modern day world spends their whole lives being really good at being bilingual, sharpening both tools really well, sharpening both languages really well. And I think that I love the Lord for real, but I did not know how to love like Him really well in my real everyday life. And so I don't think it was fake. I just think it was misinformed. And I spent so much of my life just knowing one language, but I had not spent real one-on-one time with people. So for example, I'm you're with your friend, I'm with my brother, or I'm with whoever, someone I'm meeting, a new friend, my neighbor, and I have my lens 
that I so badly want them to have, but I have not earned that, first of all, like their trust or their real friendship. Like we have to stop seeing people as projects because yes. people are the whole point. And once I started to realize I need to start seeing my brother's lens, like I can't just try to put my lens on him. I have no idea where he's coming from. I don't know his lens of the world. Why would people believe us that the God we're talking about wants to know them if yeah. we don't even want to know them? Yeah. So it's taking time to know people where they really are, see the lens of the world. And honestly, you're also giving people a taste of what God's love is like, a relationship where you have unconditional love and presence and withness. Some people don't even have context for what a relationship with God is like, what a love like that might be like. And we certainly are not showing them what that's like when we come at them with aggression or wow. condemnation. And so I'm on a lifelong you know, journey of learning how to do this better. I certainly have not arrived, but I learned how to do it a little bit better with my brother. And I pray consistently as the world changes, as people change, as our social capacity changes, as everything about us changes, God help me to consistently be sharpening this language tool of seeing the lens of the people around me. Okay. You are speaking to my, my tiny communication professor heart. This oh is goodness. just, I just want you to understand. So this is what people get wrong about communication all the time. And you are saying it so eloquently. So I am just so excited to continue this conversation with you because a lot of times, so in communication, we say great communicators don't drag a person kicking and screaming over to the message. Great communicators take a message and are able to bring it to the person. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. In a way that they can receive it. And I think sometimes in Christian circles, at least I've heard a lot of people say, well, then you're not speaking truth. And to which I say, what is truth without a spirit of truth? Hmm. We have got to come to these conversations with a spirit that's of truth, beautiful. which is through the Holy Spirit. This just gets me, even talking to you, just gets me excited about the work you're doing and the work in this generation. Or even like what might be an open door so you can speak truth. Like I 100% agree, and I'm going to take that. I love that. What What is it without the spirit of truth? But also, how important is it to speak truth? Because if it was that important to speak truth, you would dedicate your whole life to having an open door where truth can be heard and uh, understood well. I'm sorry. I'm taking all this in. Yeah. And I just learned that you're a communications professor. And I, like, where do I sign up? Yeah. Like, how do I take this class? I love that. You are in trouble now because I will be contacting you. <laughs> I love Again, it. Again, to have I you talk to my students sometime. Okay, I wait, I wanted to ask you something. So before we were recording, you mentioned that you were part of the inaugural Facebook high school class. So Facebook came out my freshman year of college. I graduated okay. in 2005. So okay. I also had Facebook right away. But for you, you were still in high school. You were one of the first people to experience it in high school. Is that right? So you're a freshman in college in 2006? In 2006. Okay, great. So I'm in high school and that's when yes. you're getting Facebook. Yes. Yes. So I'm in high school. I'm a junior. All my best friends are seniors and they're starting to get Facebook. And, you know, Facebook for a long time was colleges only. Yes. Um, and then high schoolers started getting access. Seniors got access. My best friends got access. Then I got access. And it was like, you know, we're... I'm Wait, at, did it really feel like I'm getting access? No, I was like, what is this? Oh, like, you weren't it's, excited it's about weird. it. It's weird. Well, it's very confusing what it was. So it was like, what is this? <laughs> like, 
I, I wouldn't say that's like exciting as far as like we're barking on something new. I think it was like, oh, this is cool that like I'm seeing something older kids get. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think it was more like, oh, it's the, I mean, I'm seeing something that older kids get. Okay. This is what college kids are doing. That's yeah. cool. Okay. Um, but we had no idea like what this was at the time. So I just remember us at our computers, um, all, like a handful of us in the living room and there, so one of my friend's mom's office and one of our friend's like bedrooms, like eight of us around a computer learning how to do this thing. And we're 16, 17, 18 years old. And now I think that's very significant. Like at mm -hmm. the time, I wouldn't have articulated that. Right. But having grown up without social media, like, you know, junior high, high school, getting bullied, you know, I used to get bullied to my face. You know what I mean? If someone yeah. wanted to tear me down, they had to say it to my face. Yeah. Never imagined that someone could say it in my pocket while I was at yeah. home. Like never <laughs> imagined. read this later. Never imagined. <laughs> but then I'm in college and there's Facebook. Now I don't have Instagram until after college. But Facebook, MySpace, I have in college. So like while I'm growing up, I grew up one way without it. Now I'm growing up in another way with it. And I have grown a, a passion for this, knowing that I was at the line. I was in the Bay Area when it happened. Mm. I was down the street from the people who created it. I now mentor many of the creator's kids. I now wow. speak at churches in the Silicon Valley where now their children of the creators are being, you know, now they're growing up. And I just have this deep passion. Like I, I, I care so much about what this means that we're the last generation that knows what life was like before it and life after it and how we're able to communicate some important things. And, you know, we don't have to get it right. There's not textbooks on this from a hundred years ago, right? but it's important that we talk about it and we have conversations about it because we are the ones creating the, what would God say about this? How can we live with this? Like, it's important that people who actually love God and actually love people and actually read the word of God, think about it, have conversations about it. I'm willing to get a little bit of this wrong, mm -hmm. but I won't not consider it. And so it's important to me as a San Francisco kid that we talk about it. So then anyways, yeah, I was part of the first group of high schoolers. What do you think is some of the ramifications? Can you remember? Do you feel like it's changed the way you interact with people in your real life? It's interesting because I remember in high school, like it was the first time I must have been a senior at that point. And I remember the first time I had a group of girlfriends who said, let's get dressed up and take photos and like look like we went out. <laughs> and like what's so crazy is I remember thinking like, what? <gasps> And I love, I mean, I love taking photos. I mean, I, I've had whatever the point and shoot was. Like, I love taking photos at events I was actually at or, you know, in moments. Like, I've always loved that. I'm, I, I love that a lot. But I remember, like, the first time someone said something that was like, let's get dressed up and, like, take photos outside. And, like, like we went out and we can post them. But, like, let's just stay inside. <laughs> and I remember, like, the first, I just remember that moment was very significant to me. Mm. It was something I had never heard before, something I had never thought of before. And I remember like talking to my parents about it. I remember saying like, do you think this is weird? Like, just like, is this weird? Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm a, I don't know. 
And so that was just like an interesting thing. And then being in college with these, you know, you were in college too. Like this is the first time we all have all these things and seeing people's relationship with their real life and the life they want to put online, seeing the beginning of that. Because now we, we talk about that, like, oh, hey, make sure, you know, who you are online, the same as you are in person. But we were growing up when this was even becoming a thing. Like, is there a way for people to be something else online than they are in person? Is there a way to have two entire different personalities? Because I don't even know how to hold like this one personality yeah. down. So <laughs> there's a way to have two. And then there was another moment, like I'm just like remembering in high school, but there was like a moment when I remember like it was like a graduation party and I had picked out this dress for this graduation party and someone's saying, well, don't take photos in it because then... Um, don't wear it to the graduation party because then people are going to take photos of it. and It's going to be online. And then you can't wear that outfit again. Oh, wow. And I and I remember being like, what? Like, I'm going to this nice event. I'm going to my friend's graduation party. I picked out a nice dress. And like, people are like, real people are going to be there. And I'm going to be there. Like, I love this. <laughs> I don't know. I love this dress. Like, and it was, I remember them being like, but if you take pictures and people will see it online, you, don't, you can't wear it to the next thing. So the, now it was like someone who loves to take photos. Me, I, I already love taking photos, going out with my friends. Like that I, that was already part of my life before social media. Disposable cameras at every totally, summer me camp. Too. Like that was me. But then I was like, wait, I'm changing my outfit because of a photo? Yeah. Like I love my clothes and I love going out to events and I love photos. These should all go together. But now I'm changing something. I remember processing this with my parents, wondering if it was wrong because something felt wrong. And now as an adult, it's like, we don't even, we're just like, hey, but make sure on social media you have this balance and uh, never considering like, is any of this wrong that some of the choices that we're making are not because of something we want to do or feel called to do or is right to do, Mm. but we're considering every other person's lens with every event we go to. My family wasn't raised with a lot of, money. There was no world where I'm like, oh, I'm wearing a different outfit to every event. Like that's not an option for me today. Like I wear the same four (laughs) outfits. I'm a uniform person. I'm a uniform person. But I just remember someone saying it to me and thinking like, learning how to care a lot about what people think. Wow. Who weren't with me in proximity. And I will say that I, I have not always done that right. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. Can I ask, when did you start posting your poetry online? When did you start merging those two worlds? Because this is, that's how I got exposure to you. 
was seeing one of your spoken words online. And then I remember very distinctly, and this would have been like five years ago. Oh my gosh. Praise God. Yeah. And showing it to my entire class at Colorado Christian University. I was like, do you guys know this is awesome? So when did you start? When did that world merge? Well, I'll say that this is very two different moments for me. And this is probably when social media stopped being like a question and more of like a mission Mm. in my life is that, I mean, I was growing up, I knew Jesus, but my dad passed away when I was 18. And I looked for my identity and value in a lot of wrong places. And then, you know, found a church, got great Christian therapy and started to follow Jesus for real. That's the short version. But social media was, you know, just a question. It was a new thing in my life. You know, I posted photos of my friends at some events. It wasn't a a massive thing. But then when I like fully surrendered my life to Jesus and then felt a nudge to start sharing about Jesus through spoken word poetry mm-hmm. and then a calling to start sharing about Jesus through spoken word poetry. When it became something I was called to do, my next question was, what are all the tools I have to do that? And one of the many things is social media. So I now, like I see social media not as a means to an end, but as a tool. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. what are you called to do? And then what are all the tools that the world has given us to do the God thing we've been called to do? So I felt called to share about Jesus through art. You know, this is, I don't know, years ago. But I felt called to share about Jesus through spoken word poetry. And there was tools I had. I had a red Toyota Corolla. So I would drive around the country for four and a half years sharing about Jesus every event I could. There were skills I had. There were tools I had, resources I had. And there was social media. Once I surrendered my life to Jesus and I felt passionate about sharing the gospel, social media became a tool in order to do it. And it's not the main thing and it's not the goal and it's not the point. And as soon as social media does not work to reach Mm. people, I probably wouldn't use it the way I use it. But as it works, as it's something that we've seen reach people to hear sermon clips and spoke word poetry and read books and words and be encouraged, that's still like a a priority I have. And in seasons where we can't make time for that priority, it's not, you know, but now I really just see it as a tool for mission. And so ever since then, I've used it as a way to share quotes, sermon clips, all of that to reach people. Do you remember the first time you saw one of your spoken words go viral? Um, I mean really viral yes because like that was recently <laughs> so like like really viral like all over the world viral was this year so that really? was recent for me yeah i mean okay cuz I, I saw it 5 years ago maybe if we maybe if we describe like viral differently maybe but like going well like if it's just like going well and reaching people not in person I mean, no. I mean, that was that would have been over a decade ago, okay. and I was amazed. I learned spoken word poetry from my friends living on the streets huh. of San Francisco. My friends, I, that's my background. I grew up on the streets of San Francisco. We had an outdoor outreach to people living without homes and battling with addictions. We did outdoor services three days a week. That's my whole background. That, that's my friends. That's my church. And mm-hmm. I never imagined that God would use this art form I learned on the streets to share about Jesus, that churches would allow it. Like I was blown away, like really excited that I got to represent the streets I was from sharing about Jesus. Wait, tell me about how you learned about it. What was that dynamic like? Well, my history is that my my dad was a recovered heroin addict who fought in a gang. Someone introduced him to Jesus. Jesus changed his whole life. He started an outreach wow. to people like him, wow. people battling with addiction, living without homes on the streets of San Francisco. Wow. So my whole childhood 
was that. Everyone on the streets did it. It was not unique. It was not different. All my friends did some kind of form of hip hop, whether that was freestyling, mm-hmm. spoken word poetry, rap, graffiti, breakdancing, whatever it was. And spoken word poetry was the one that I loved. So all my friends on the streets, we would did it on the sidewalks, on the street corners, in the underground slam poetry scene in San Francisco. Then when I got older and I became and I started following Jesus for real. I started just naturally incorporating the story of Jesus into my life because my spoken words all about my true story. So Jesus was naturally in it. And I never really thought of it as a way to minister to people then, but now, I mean, I see how that thing I had in common with my friends was mm-hmm. an open door, like we talked about earlier, wow. a catalyst wow. to my friends who had a real relationship with me, my real friends, now hearing about my other real friend, Jesus, through this art form that we share. So I just think I learned wow. through that, like the power of commonality, how important it is to find the things you have in common with other people. And that is your open door. Like that is the catalyst to how you can share about Jesus. And so I did that all throughout junior high, high school, college, and straight out of college. I in my red Toyota Corolla, was traveling the country without a home base for four and a half years and staying in guest rooms with churches, pastors, their wives, their kids, caught in living room to cot room in living room, guest room to guest room, um, hotels without a home base for four and a half years, passionate about wow. sharing the gospel of Jesus through spoken word poetry. After my dad passed away, I was like, what can I do? Um, my dad was like a preacher, you know, a mm. leader. And all I could do is spoken word poetry. Wait, can I ask you, was there a a moment there of tension at all. I'm just wondering because I like today I got a text message from somebody, a voice message, where they were saying that one of the things they're really struggling with with God is essentially, I mean, it's the age-old question, but how unfair it is that people who do good things don't always receive good things hmm. in return. And that was just like a real point of tension for this person that was talking to me today. Was there ever a point for you where as you watch your dad turn his entire life around, give his life to God, these massive changes, and then pass away so young? Was that ever a a, a difficulty for you with your relationship oh, yeah. with God? Oh, yeah. I like okay. was so mad at God for years. I mean, that's the yeah. years where I talked about like finding my value and identity and the wrong things and the wrong people and was like knew God, but was shaky in how I was living for a long mm-hmm. time until I really like found a community to help restore my image of God and of church. Yeah, I was, I was very angry at God. I don't think I ever thought God wasn't real. I think I knew he yeah. was real. And so I knew I was mad at him because it felt unfair. Yeah. Not just that it was unfair to my dad. It was unfair to me. Yeah. I was a good kid. We served Jesus on the streets. My mom is a good woman. My brother is a good kid. That is something that is important to talk about and is very real. The other thing is that my dad was an addict for years. And what's also a little unfair is like he gave his life to Jesus <laughs> and then he changed his whole mm-hmm. life. And when my dad yeah. was preaching on these streets to hundreds of people living in the homes and battling with addiction. There are people there who he used to sell drugs to. And for them, it was like, this is unfair that this guy mm. who used to sell me drugs, this guy that used to hurt me is now just saved by grace. Like now he's just preaching here. Mm. Like, like I think there's a lot about my dad's story that's like unfair and not unfair, but um, grace is 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 something yeah. that will take our whole lives to try to, I think, unfold. And um, 
I can say now, like my dad died when I was 18 years old and the life that like I got to have with my dad once he gave his life to Jesus and the stuff he instilled in me, I don't downplay like the pain of missing my dad deeply and the losses many of us have had. And I think as we struggle about God, we should struggle with God. Mm. And I think there's something that we'll learn about his character and about how he sees us and how he saw us in those moments that we desperately need. It's not fair. When we were created, we weren't created to experience death or hold this much trauma in our Mm -hmm. bodies. Like, it's not crazy that we feel this is unjust or unfair because it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's important, that it's real, that we have to say it, that we have to name it and wrestle with it, with God. And I'm on that journey still. And I, I pray, I'll pray that for your friend that she, as she wrestles, she wrestles with God to see what his lens is of all of it, especially of her. Yeah. You have a new book. Congratulations yeah. on that. You are more Thank you. than you've been told. Talk to us about that. How did this book come about? Um, this book came about because I have battled with knowing who I am for most of my life, mm-hmm. whether that's you know, growing up in school and being the kid that didn't have the most money or feeling a little like I stuck out or didn't look like everybody else or whether that was struggling with who I am as I got <laughs> social media at a young age or older for more, most people nowadays, but formative years and losing my dad and find my value in the wrong places and also then started my career, a public career, also at a very young age and so many relationships being transactional mm not really knowing who I am outside of people's opinions of me. I have struggled with my identity for most of my life. And out of a season of losing who I was, like I was already married, I was already ministering, sharing the gospel. We had a season of immense loss financially, relationally, physically, and everything I'd built my identity on was no longer there. And my husband would say he, he wouldn't even recognize his wife anymore. I lost who I was. And out of that season, there was kind of a lie in the sand moment with me and God. And out of that season actually came I Have a New Name, which is one of the spoken yeah. word pieces that went viral this year, which is just really beautiful because most of it is scriptures declaring the names God gives us. So as that poem went viral and kids all over the world were memorizing it, it was mostly scripture they were memorizing. Wow. So it was, it was a very beautiful thing. Things I wish I would have known when I was younger. Names that God calls us. And um, one of the questions I get asked the most as I've performed I Have a New Name now for several years is how? okay, I want to know who I am, but how? I can hear this poem about declaring the names God gives us. I need to know who I am. I'm chosen. I'm loved. I'm wanted. I'm a child of God. But how do I know that every day in my real life, and how do I live that out? And I knew I the story wasn't complete. I knew I needed to give people the how, not just the who, but the toolbox of the rhythms in your real everyday life that got me out of a place of defeat, that got me out of a place of an identity crisis, that got me out of putting so much stock in the opinions of people and knowing who I really was. It wasn't just sitting at my desk declaring it. Mm. It was a lifestyle change I had to make to not just know who I am, but how. And so I wrote a book, You Are More Than You've Been Told, to show people how you can know who you are, no matter the losses, 
the disappointments, the heartbreaks, no matter what people say about you, what people think about you, or the times you think things about yourself that are not true, there is a way, practical ways to know who you really are in your real everyday life. And I wanted people, it was time to tell the full story behind the spoken word piece and also the literal practical tools and rhythms that my husband and I have incorporated into our lives that helped me get my life back and my marriage back and my ministry back with a refreshed mission, a refreshed focus. And so that's why I'm blessed that it's out in the world because as I look back on my life, I see that this was the message I was born to write Mm -hmm. and the tools I was always meant to give people once I had the authority in overcoming these lies, the authority to write a book like this. You know what I think is interesting about you in particular is talking to you right now, you would never guess that you struggled with identity. Oh, praise God. Yeah, I guess (laughs) it's like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go in the fire and their clothes don't smell like smoke. I mean, you would never, I would think that people would say to you, what do you know? about being insecure. I, I, do you ever get that from people or no? Um, I think when you read my work, I don't think that's a question. I think, okay. I think most people were surprised at how much I shared. I don't think so. Mm. I don't think I've heard that before. Maybe because like now I'm, I'm certain about who I am, even when people don't agree with me. But that has come... Th- like you mentioned, those three teenagers, that's come through fire. I see it. That has come through fire. And even the exact story you're talking about, Meshach, Shirek, and Abednego were in the fire. They came out. They didn't even smell like smoke. Mm. Nothing on them was burned. And I share this in the book, so I love that you mentioned that. But something was burned in the fire. When they went into the fire, they were tied up. But the Word of God says when they came out, nothing on them smelled like smoke, but they were also unbound. Nothing was burned mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. fire. The only thing that was burned in the fire was the thing that bound them. The only thing that was burned in the fire was the thing that held them back. And the thing that the enemy might have wanted to use to hold you back might mm-hmm. be the exact same thing that God uses to propel you forward. So I think that I have the authority to share about identity now because of years of fire and years of being unsure of who I am and I have not arrived. I still use these tools and these practices in my life to have a rhythm to make sure I don't get into my own head, to make sure that I'm not defined by my feelings, that I'm not defined by what other people are saying. I still have a rhythm in my life to make sure that I I am making God's voice the loudest voice in my life. Mm -hmm. And so praise God that the journey to it is is not as apparent, but you know, without us having some practical tools and a plan and rhythms in our lives, I could easily slip back to who I was at 18 years old, very, very easily. My book is divided into three sections. One is the problem. And so we talk about the problem with our identity, Mm. the problem with the lies that we've heard and the broken lens of other people that we've started to see ourselves through and the ways we're fighting the wrong battles and we're listening to the wrong voices, we're living out the wrong stories. We break down what is the problem in our lives that we struggle with our identity. And then the second part is called the plan. And it's the plan, the rhythms, the structure, what the Word of God says, the answer to our identity. And we break it down in four very specific rhythms for a plan in your life. And then the third part is called the peace. And that's also where the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego story will be. But the peace that comes in your life, once you identify the problem Mm -hmm. and then you have a real plan, there is a peace. Mm -hmm. 
And it is not like our lives now are easy, that there's not loss or hurts or deaths in our family or people leaving our church or confusing situations or moments of insecurity. Mm. It's not that those moments don't exist, but we have identified the problem. We have a plan. So even though there's outward chaos, there can be inward peace. And that is what I so badly want to give people. To people like your friend who seems to have had an immense loss, to people like my baby brother who was 12 when he lost his dad. And, you know, we saw a lot of trauma on the streets of San Francisco. I was nine the first time I saw someone murdered in front of me. My baby brother Mm -hmm. was with me. Like my brother had experienced trauma. And yet when he lost his dad, like that was like Mm -hmm. a whole other thing. And so for me, it has been a lifelong journey. I can't believe I wrote a book on identity because it has been the battle of my life. But I knew a couple years ago when, when our marriage and ministry when we had Mm. put these rhythms in our life and had a a season of refreshment and restoration, we felt strongly called to put it all in the book and to give people what I would have needed 10, 15 years ago. Um, It was through a lot of prayer with a lot of pastors and even, you know, you have to get permission from people to share stories. I told my husband, how much can I say? Because we have to both be called, you know, and he said, when he looked at me and he said, say it all. I knew we were both called to it. I just think we all struggle with our identity Mm. to a point, whether we think we're hot stuff or we think that we're nothing. Like we struggle with knowing who we are. That's why sometimes we don't know how to live. We don't know how to respond in hard situations, respond to our coworker, what decision to make, what choice to make. Mm. We get in our heads. We feel stuck because we don't know who we are. So we don't know how to live. And so identity is such a core question, a core issue But I will say lovingly and respectfully with all the honor, some of the identity books that I read as a young kid, they impacted my life a lot. And I'm so thankful for those authors. But because I was young, they were authors who wrote identity books without the lens of the internet, without the lens of social media, without the lens of some of the things I was soon to struggle with. And so a lot of those authors are my mentors and my heroes, and they've informed a lot of my lens. But I knew that if I was writing an identity book today, it would have to be informed by the world we live in today. And then in 30 years, someone else will write a more current identity book in the name of Jesus. But I needed to say what this struggle has really been like and what God's answers are to our real questions. To the person who's listening right now and just can't see a path forward for themselves, can't conceive that there could be a future that looks any different than what they're sitting in right now, I just want to encourage you to keep going. And to read this book, and I'm telling you, Hosanna, as I'm talking to you, I see such a present person. So I'm just really, I'm really taken aback by the work that God has been able to do in your life and the the way that you're going to be able to model this. You say that you feel like identity is the struggle of your life. You're shocked that you would write this book, but maybe there was nobody better to write a book that can then model for people, oh my goodness, there is also a life of abundance available to me that I can't conceive as I'm sitting in what I'm sitting in right now. What would you say to the person actually right now? Because I know that there is somebody listening right now that's saying, well, that's because she's in ministry. That's because God has this (laughs) special plan for her. That's why. What do you say to that person right now who just feels like, that's not me. There's nothing available to me. And I don't know who I am. And I don't even know what I'm called to. Yeah. I mean, 
if that's someone's feeling that today, then you're my people Mm. (laughs) and we would probably hang. (laughs) Mm. You sound like me and all my friends. Um, Mm. I don't have a perfect life, but I do have more peace in my life than I've ever had. And that is very true. And when my identity crisis, like the biggest identity crisis of my life happened, I was in ministry. I did have a public ministry. I did have a healthy marriage. I did have friends. I had um, a support system. So I don't think any of us are above the enemy's Mm -hmm. lies. And I don't think any of us have arrived. It's humbling to even think about how I would answer that because you know, even through writing this book, we had immense loss. My my nephew passed away. We had, you know, a lot of heartbreak relationally, financially, but many similar things that happened in this identity crisis I had seven years ago actually happened to us in different forms again while I wrote this book because we're real people with real lives. And when I say I'm in ministry, I mean, I do life with real people every single day. My husband and I disciple people and do life with people every single day. So we're all hurting and we're all messy and there's relationship Mm -hmm. dynamics and everyone in my life is hurting. Like when I say I'm doing ministry, it's like I'm in the dirt. People are in my dirt. We're in each other's dirt, like doing life together, trying to know how to follow Jesus for real. So the truth is that so much loss also is consistently happening in all of our lives all the time because we're humans alive in this world today. And people are hurting me and I'm hurting people. Like we're all doing this right now, right? But but it was somehow I was still able to know who I was and what God said about me and have peace in the middle of outward chaos throughout this very similar circumstances. Mm. So my circumstances have not changed. The outward chaos has not stilled. You know, there are still people that I am praying that there will be reconciliation with. There are Mm. still conversations I'm praying will happen. There are still miracles I'm praying for physically, mentally, emotionally in my family. There's still, there's all this breakthrough I'm still praying to have. And yet I know that there is a way to have an inward peace in the middle of outward chaos. There's a way you are no matter what. Because what happened seven years ago took me out. But now I see it and I think, man, that wasn't even as bad as some of the stuff we live through now. Mm -hmm. I want you to know if you've ever heard lies about yourself, that you're not enough, that you're doing all you can, but you're still not doing enough, that your life is not as important as other people's lives, or that you'll always be stuck in your past. I do want you to know that those are all lies. Mm-hmm. The enemy of your soul wants you to believe so that you answer to a lesser name and live a lesser life so that you get stuck in the wrong patterns of thinking and then eventually get stuck in the wrong patterns of living. And I want you to know that God knew that our whole lives we'd be told lies. God knew that our whole lives we'd hear lies about who we are. And so he sent a solution. He Mm -hmm. sent a solution to these problems, and it's in the Word of God, and it's in my book, You Are More Than You've Been Told. But God sent His Son, Jesus, to come and be with us where we are to share in a human experience, fully God and fully human, Mm -hmm. hear the same lies, to have the same betrayals and losses and heartbreak, and still demonstrate to us a lifestyle of how we can know who we are. I want you to know that if you've heard a lot of lies about yourself, this is what I wish I would have known 10 years ago. You deserve 
to stop seeing yourself through the broken lens of other people. Mm. When you start seeing yourself through the lens of God, you will discover who you really are and who you've always been. It turns out that you were wanted and valued and loved all along. Mm. So that's my prayer for all of us that feel that way. There's no way for me to have breakthrough. There's no way. It's possible that your outward circumstances will not change. Mm. I won't dispute that. But there is a way for you to know who you are and for your life to be lived the way it was created to be lived. Hosanna Wong is the author of You Are More Than You've Been Told. Hosanna, our show is called Viral Jesus. Here's the question I ask everybody at the end. What do you think it means to be a Christian when you are online? Oh, wow. My gosh. Do we have another five hours to unpack? Yeah, keep going. <laughs> Man, let me, let me think. What do I really think about this question? What does it mean to be a Christian while online? That's your question, right? Yeah. Well, um, I want to go back to something we talked about earlier of me saying that I think social media is a tool to do what you're called to do. So the first question is not, what should I do online? The first question is, what am I called to do? What is mm -hmm. God calling me to do? What is God calling me to say? And if God is calling you to be a voice of encouragement to young women, then my guess is that you do that at your church, in small groups, have girls over at your home, you coach a basketball team, you actively text people, and social media might also be a way that you post encouragement to young women because it's a part of what you're called to do. If a part of your calling is connecting, you know, young creatives or a part of your calling is coaching if a part of you know basketball if you're a part of your calling i'm guessing you do a lot of that above the surface a lot of that in your real life and then my next question is how would you also use this tool as an extension of what god is calling you to do in that season so i think a way to be a christian online is to see it as a resource and a tool to do what god has called you to do and not just do what god has called you to do but the way he's called you to do it. And so there's also rhythms God's given us of how he wants us to live. Rest, a rhythm of rest, mm. a rhythm of not getting ahead, of not finding your identity in what you do, of being loving, of being gracious, of being kind. So off the top of my head, I wish it was more concise, but I do believe these two things. Use it to do what God has called you to do. And some people aren't on social media because there's not something God's called them to do that that even needs to be an extension of, you know. But do what God's called you to do and then do it the way God's called you to do it. I use social media primarily as a way, as an extension of what I feel called to do. 90% of it I do in real life and 10% you'll see online because mm -hmm. it also reaches people. It does. I've seen it. And then I'm also constantly praying like, God, help me do it the way. So there's goals I might have and there's things I might want to do more consistently, but because my husband and I take Sabbath very seriously, because we take rest, because we take not finding our identity and what we do very seriously, yeah. there's rhythms in my life where sometimes I won't be on for a while, not because I'm not no longer called to do it, but because there's a way God's called me to live mm. and that extends to my social media. And then when they are in conflict, I feel like God's called me to share this message that also will be going on social media, okay, but I also feel called. My husband and I said we're taking this week off together. Then in that case, maybe I have a friend or someone on my team post for me and say, hey, for this week, for these two weeks, for this month, 
because of a way I've chosen to live. I'm not on social media all the time, but things are being posted by me all the time. I pre-write it. I pre-approve it. Everything's written by me. But maybe for a week, I was off with my husband and a friend of mine or someone on my team was posting my words and my videos for me that week because I have to do what God's called me to do. I also have to do it the way. And if ever I'm like, oh, the social media thing isn't helping me do it the right way, I will remove myself from that. Does that make sense? So I don't do it perfectly. It makes total sense. <laughs> I don't do it perfectly, but I do it consciously. I'm constantly reevaluating. I'm constantly asking God, like, am I representing you well in 2023 hmm. with all of these tools? Hosanna, I love you. I love you. I can't believe we haven't really like met do. before. I feel like I'm not, I don't know. Well, it's you. I, I'm, I'm thinking like, what is it? It's you. It's just your personhood. There is something so wise about you. How old are you? You're not even very old. We were a year you apart. in 2007. Yeah, we were a year right? apart in high school. We would have probably been friends in high school. We would have been best friends. I absolutely <laughs> love you. Hosanna Wong is the author of You Are More Than You've Been Told. We can read it together. You can pause this episode right now and wherever you get your favorite books, if that's at your library or Amazon or wherever, yeah. order this book right now. Pause the episode. Um, Hosanna, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Heather. So what did we learn from our conversation with Hosanna Wong? Number one, being an ambassador is not just about knowing the language of God. It is also about knowing the language of the world that you're in. How can we be effective communicators of the gospel while speaking in a language the people we love can't understand? Number two, grace is something that we will spend our entire lives trying to understand. Grace is offensive, and there are people who will see you change and be offended by how readily God accepted you. And we will, of course, see people that God will transform and change and make new, and that transformation for us will feel offensive because sometimes grace doesn't feel fair. Number three, Hosanna feels called to speak on identity because of how long she personally struggled with it. That thing that is your greatest struggle also has the possibility of becoming your greatest testimony. You can have a new name. God is not finished with you yet. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, I sit down with Esau McCauley. And don't forget on Monday for the rest of 2023, I hope you guys liked our devotional this week. And for the rest of 2023, I'll share a little devotional with you every single Monday. It'll be under 10 minutes. So you can listen to it while you go to work or drop the kids at school. And I hope you share it with people to encourage someone else. That's how we make Jesus go viral. But my hope is it will help you face your week in faith. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you 
on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.